hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Uh, we have just uh, met the master in Terror of the Autons episode one. We are now skipping forward an entire generation to Tom Baker and Ark in Space episode two. I've forgotten what episode. I am still here with Stephen from New to Who. Say hello, Stephen. Hello, Joe. Hello, Hampton. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's the worst title in the world. <laughs> um, I am queued up and ready to go no. if you are ready to go. I am. Okay, then I will count us in in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Oh, that time tunnel. The definitive time sequence. Memory of Doctor Who. Um, probably just for the most nostalgic reasons, because when I was terrified of Doctor Who before I was a fan, this was what used to howl onto the screen and would then send me sort of running away. But I kind of enjoyed that. And um, yeah, maybe maybe I've sort of come to like it because of my fandom since. But yeah, very much that, that blue time tunnel is my, is my favourite, I would say. Oh, I mean, straight away, okay, I'm noticing the incredible set that they're in. Um, three astonishingly mm. good regulars. Yeah, what a tired of thing. Oh, my Honestly. Do you think Harry should have stayed on longer? You know, I think it's perfect as it was. Um, we had what should have been the first season that ended with, um, with Terror of the Zygons. Before yeah. we get into a, a second sort of season that is really quite wonderful, Tom and Liz could well be the definitive Doctor and Companion pairing in my mind. Um, well, we were talking about that on, in Terror of the Autons, weren't we? So it's kind of set up yeah. there, but almost perfected mm. in season 13. Like, Yeah, yeah, very much so. And there's the Burn that looks a bit like a potato. <laughs> on the studio floor. But there is, but I, I, I had a very interesting observation on Flight for Entirety that Harry in season 12 brought like an element of humour to some very dark, very kind mm -hmm. of graphic stories. When you skip into season 13 and you lose that element of humour, uh, basically the things that happen to Sarah are quite um, explicit in season and so the show yeah. kind of ventures into a bit of like adult maybe uncomfortable territory i think there's definitely an argument to be to be raised around that but again it, this is doctor who has high adventure you know the comic book sort of thing the unreality or the hyper reality of that that we talked about in terror of the zygon still holds into this conception of doctor who as well it's never real enough for me i was never terrified for sarah because um, it wasn't, it was never going to be a realistic situation. Oh, you know, yeah. Her face yeah, falling yeah, off yeah. in the Android invasion was terrifying and safe because it was just like, uh, Brain of Morbius is brutal, but mm -hmm. the, the monster is ridiculous, yeah, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. The tone of this, though, this is so stripped back compared to what we've just watched, isn't it? 
Visually, I think it is, yeah, definitely. The high, the high concept, though, is still there, right? The last of humanity have overslept on a space station that has been overrun by we're in, um, mm. intergalactic um, insects that are like a hive mind. That's, Actually, that's you know, absolutely just bonkers. Do you remember what I said about Unearthly Child and the sense of mystery and suspense? Maybe mm. I was wrong because I think the opening scene of the Ark in Space with the Wirren going towards the Ark and then oh, going yeah. into the sleeper's chamber and then opening up the thing and then the, the whole first episode of them investigating what's happened. Like, I think that might be like the first time that's been done that well since An Unearthly Child. I think the Harmon episodes definitely have that first episode where they go around and um, you know, try to figure out what's happening here. But even stuff like um, the Space Museum Part 1 is actually really good in doing that and, and sort of exploring that world. I think Ark in Space Episode 1 also harkens back to that and it really is very well done I mean, in terms of atmosphere. Based on not a, necessarily didn't, pop because not a great deal happens, but... Didn't a Hartnell writer uh, write the original version of this, John Lucarasi? And then it was completely rewritten yeah. by Robert Holmes. So maybe there's elements right, of that yeah. there because of that. That could well be true. I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good point. I love fire. Now, uh, strong roles for women um, are yep. not uh, what the Hinchcliffe and Holmes era are known for. So I very All much right. appreciate there are two strong women in this episode. Yeah, I agree. I, I would like to have thought that this is kind of a, a template for what goes for what happens over the rest of the Hinchcliffe-Holmes era, just the way in which uh, it doesn't deliver to, to many you know, speaking parts for women, let alone actually strong um, lead roles for women. It's a real shame. Yeah, it definitely blocks its, its copybook as you would solve. But no Doctor Who hero is perfect. This is even as one as wonderful as the Hinchcliffe-Holmes is. What do you think about the the whole um, homage uh, nature of the Hinchcliffe Holmes era? Like, you know, t- taking these sort of famous horror books and, and films and giving like a science fiction spin on them. I think it's exactly the right thing to do for a family audience that comprises mostly your children watching it, right? Because mm. as a kid of nine years of age, you perhaps haven't seen King Kong, or you perhaps haven't seen, um, you know, the Frankenstein film because you're just not allowed to, right? But this is almost like a safe way of being introduced to them in many regards. And there's something wonderful. There's this this moment in time where you start to to sort of draw the parallels between whether it's mythology or literature or film or or whatever, and Doctor Who stories and Kickstart, well, I certainly did. I felt a bit clever for having sort of made that connection. It's like, oh, that's, that's where this is coming from. So in some regards, in the way that, um, you know, the target novelizations expand your vocabulary because you're learning new words, and, and Bob Holmes always puts a new words in, you know, long relationship his, uh, his scripts. Um, maybe similarly, there's a, there's a way in which your, your worldview and your cultural sort of, uh, Exposure is, is, is widened through through having Doctor Who stories that are effectively a, a, a kid's version of whether it's Hammer Horror or, or the Hollywood films, as you say. I, I, I quite like it. I, I, I appreciated that. But I also feel that um, it's a perfectly valid 
source for inspiration. Um, yeah. There's nothing wrong with going to the classics and uh, you know redoing any of those, whether it's mythology or, or whatever the case is. Um, doesn't always work in Doctor Who, particularly with mythology, but uh, <laughs> the idea is good. Um, I'm a huge fan, as Brendan Jones is actually also of FTE, of um, uh, the Androids of Tara, which is just I'm, I'll tell you a heartbreaking story. Um, we filmed a commentary, sorry, we recorded a commentary for Androids of Tara, and ah. my internet failed that day and it didn't record. Oh. No, surely not. <laughs> and oh, he's, no. <laughs> he, he's such a charming man that he's, he's just basically yeah. said, let's do it again. Let's consider that our rehearsal. I mean, what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. I think well, as well, I though, I think, that one. I think um, that one, one of the reasons I, uh, that the Hinchcliffe home stuff is so popular now is that people know the films and the references that these things are referring to, you know. So, And the fact that Doctor Who gets to be playful with it and a bit sick mm-hmm. and a bit silly, I think that's really appealing, like really engaging. Yeah. I also think Doctor Who is stronger when it's not necessarily about itself. And so oh, it is about yes. other things, but it's just a wonderful richness to it. Even if it is, you know, people wrapped in green bubble wrap. Okay, <laughs> okay, now hang on. You say that about bubble wrap. Okay, I think this is just like Barry Letts pioneering CSO. Yep. Bubble wrap Agreed. was not. Uh, uh, widely used at this point and they exactly. had this amazing material and they were like let's do a monster with it <laughs> I, I have no problem with them whatsoever i the bit later on i don't know if it's i think it's in episode three it's incredible like half of his body is wiran and half of his body is human and you That's can you can point yeah. and laugh it's it's staggering like what they were trying to achieve mm. Yeah, and and one of the great things about the, the sort of sterility of the arc and the organic mess and just yeah. corruption of that that sort of green chipay, you know, claiming his body, just that alone is such a striking image. I think I think that's um, like on paper. I I can't remember reading the Arkins. Oh, no, I, I have read it. It's Ian Martyr, isn't it? That wrote that. One. Ian Martyr, yeah, the Yellow Book. Yeah, I can imagine he went to town with this because I know he puts a very mm-hmm. adult spin on his stories. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a target that I remember reading and being just absorbed by. I think it was a seventeen chap, seventeen page first chapter, and I got to the end of that and I. I was quite proud of myself because I would have been very, very young and getting to through a 17 page chapter, but then thinking, I want more. I yeah. just want more of this. It's really interesting. Uh, Noah's just been woken up. And mm. so this is something that is definitely, it starts here and it runs through the entirety of this era. And that is the theme of possession. Yeah. I don't know if it's done much better than here, actually. I think he, I've heard criticisms about his performance. I think he plays that kind of struggle quite effectively. I'm with you on that. Yeah. No, I I think the sort of um, operatic sort of element of his performance is actually quite right for what this is. This isn't um, 
you know, serious drama for 30-somethings. This is this is a family show that went out at tea time on Saturday, BBC in the 70s. You have to sort of accept that there's also um, a generational thing in terms of the actors. These, these are all stage actors predominantly who transition to television, so there's a performative aspect to that. I so, miss you know, that, this that's style of Stephen, I miss it. I feel I feel like everyone's a bit too naturalistic these days. I miss the um, we call it the pit, you know that style of acting. <laughs> yeah. So now in the right, new series, whenever, whenever you get someone who hams it up terribly, I'm all over it. <laughs> Doctor is meant to be fun. If you can't, you know, see the. The absolute ludicrous nature of this and enjoy it on that sort of almost camp level. Uh, you, you're in trouble. And it's not entirely camp. Well, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're watching the wrong show for the wrong reasons, I think. You probably want, um, gosh, I don't know, the West Wing instead. Do you know what's um, hilarious? You remember when J&T came in with Chris Rage and they were like, it's too silly. We need to stop this silliness. And then yeah, yeah. in their second story, they did freaking Megloss. <laughs> the, the most ridiculous yeah. story ever <laughs> exactly yeah. like Doctor Who unfortunately you can try and push away from how daft it is it is a silly show it's a fun show you know mm, yeah I mean it, it, it's never binary either so it should be a um, sort of uh, play by ear you know I, I, I know that Nathan Bodley um, went on uh, you know, the show with you and then talked about uh, aliens of um, London World War Three, yeah. and there's a sort of very camp element to that. Um, I'm I'm pretty receptive to that episode um, for you know those those elements, uh, but I know a lot of people just you know think it's you know the worst episode in, in that first very strong series, which is probably you know a measure of the, the strength of that series. But I think uh, I think the reason episode. why people can't handle it is like the farting aliens, you know. And I think he put yeah. that in. Well, one, Nathan said brilliantly because he was trying to suggest that they were like fat, flatulent politicians, which is wonderful and very yeah. funny. Yeah. But yeah. also because it's supposed to appeal to kids and fart, it makes yeah, kids exactly. laugh. Totally agree. Oh, Liz, Liz Sladen's awake. Oh, man. Sarah Jane. <clears throat> she has my heart, you know. Their companions come and go, but this lady always has my heart. <laughs> was she your first companion that you saw on TV? Uh, no. So my first mm. live story was Battlefield, so I came right at the end. Um, okay. Yeah. I was so excited at the end of that season because I couldn't wait to see the next one. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but my oh, first VHS, my first two VHSs were both Sarah Jane's, and that was Death to the Daleks and Terror of the Zygons. And they both scared ah. the life out of me, but thank God Sarah yeah. Jane was there to hold my hand. <laughs> She's marvellous. But Tom Baker here as well, like, so Robot featured a very kind of crazy almost like williams-esque tom baker didn't it he was a bit scatterbrained and silly here yeah we're going into that kind of gothic period where he tones it right down and he's given like he's not performing he's acting i i think that's right and you know a lot of people have said that it's because 
he hasn't seen the public reaction yet. He doesn't know how big a star he actually is. He's just come off a building site. He needs to get this right, otherwise he's gone. And he's already broken his collarbone and had that horrible afternoon where being driven across Devon, certain that he was going to be sacked and someone was going to take his place and he'll go back to a building site. So there's a humility perhaps around that and the nervous to get this right. Um, he he is probably strongest, I would say, in season 12. And the next time that we see his acting gravitas, I don't think is until season 18. Yeah, I when you're been right. really reined in. But also the, the direction of that show is, uh, is now building towards his end and there's a somber of new reality about it. Just, yeah. Although saying that, like, like, like my, you may you may argue me on this, you may disagree with me here, but my favourite version of Tom Baker is actually the 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 mad student of season seventeen. I just he makes me laugh so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Tom in all aspects, really. Um, whether it's the Hinchcliffe and Holmes, dark, darker sort of Doctor, that you know infallible hero that we get during those three years of Williams, or whether the it's the wintry, you know, and wee doctor who is approaching his death. And I just love him uh, when he, when he's, you know, when he's naughty, when he, when he's like, you remember when uh, John Poe is like, why can't I be childish? I like being childish. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. Bas- that's basically me. So, like, <laughs> that appeals a lot. Oh, this is so scary. What the hell is this green blob? Mm. And it's it's that kind of growing sense of of terror that this story generates, like it keeps building. Absolutely, and and this is why um, this particular episode of Doctor Who is, is so wonderful. The 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 entire sort of Hitchcock and Holmes. Um, mission statement is kind of summed up here. We have um, just that sense of dread that you know, something awful is, is is going to you know make its way into the centre of this story. Not quite yet, but um, it'll be implacable and just unknown and there's no, there's no bargaining or being with it. And it is different, isn't it, from the like the danger of the Pertwee era? Like, there's a, there's a, a comfortable feeling to the Pertwee era, which I think is stripped away here. I, I, I almost get yeah. in in Hinchcliffe and Holmes. I almost get like, oh my word, is the companion going to get out of this? Like, mm. yeah, those stakes are definitely heightened. I think um, you know Hinchcliffe is on record of saying taking away the TARDIS as he did for season twelve sort of adds that you know you, you remove that safety net they're obviously already off earth mm-hmm. there's no comfy cozy unit family to run back to and you know uh, chaps in, in military gear who can sort of shoot down the aliens this is this is them striking out out on their own and you know, up against the terrors of the universe and god knows what's out there so that's the real significant shift that happens and look, and look what happened there like this episode got like 13 million viewers. There was a spike here, mm. you know, in and it didn't stop. Like the it managed to grab a new audience and it built it to mm-hmm. I think in season 14, they you know, it was averaging like 12, 13 million, something like that. It's yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 Tom has arrived here, you know, it's part two of of, of Dark and Space, as you say, 
it's also the highest audience share that Doctor Who has uh, up until the 2007 Christmas special when we get Kylie. Oh, yeah. Do you know um, what it was? Because I don't know every, what I don't know what that. Oh, was it 13 point? For, for 14 million, I think it was for the Kylie oh, episode. Gosh, but, um, this is this is Doctor Who and his pomp and, and the very beginning of, of Tom Baker's sort of ascendancy. Uh, he is the doctor from this moment onwards, and maybe still is in many regards, right? And like, I'm if he sure. if he had nerves in this season, like oh, I I mm. can't see them, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But just the impact of this story, and I think this particular episode. And talk to talk to your cabbie next time. <laughs> you know, you grab a ride and ask them to to name who their doctor is. Um, tune into an episode of The Simpsons and, and see who they think yeah, as a representation. Like, it's just so. Even now, like when they do polls, and you know, obviously, and, like the the new series Doctor Poll is high, but Tom Baker always polls when they do those best Doctor polls for new series fans. Tom yeah. Baker's always in there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last part of that is the syndication to the US and Australia, but I don't think that really fully accounts for something. I think he's a, like, like, like his doctor is like a cultural icon now, isn't he? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's the doctor. He's not Doctor Who. He's the doctor to a lot of people. Yeah. And Hinchcliffe is a lucky bastard because basically Barry let's cast him Barry let's cast Elizabeth Sladen and Barry let's cast Ian Martyr and then said right there's your perfect cast off you go I also think you know however much Hinchcliffe says that you know he wants to do his own thing season 13 and 14 and, and does so wonderfully um he's not hampered in any way by the scripts that he inherits that are playing for season 12 I think they're I, I've heard an argument like, that season 12 is his strongest season. I don't know if I would argue with that. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how you could choose, but I think there's certainly a case to be made for that. Like, it, it just strings together so well. And I, I still think if Terror of the Zygon was the capstone to season 12, yeah. it would be probably a clearer, um, you know, sort of decision. And it's all to do with the way in which the um, Harry kind of uh, arc yeah. um, comes together and they come back to Earth and we're back in Union and Brigadier and all that kind of stuff. But Terror of the Zygons also, gosh, if that isn't, you know, I'm sort of sitting down and, and thinking, what, what does a, a, a Doctor Who story have in the public imagination? And short of the Master and the Daleks, Terror of the Zygons has everything. Uh, it's that good. I was saying uh, the other day that Terror of the Zygons, um, as a script, it is full of like Doctor Who cliches. It's got unit, oh, yeah. it's got shape changing yep. aliens, you know, doppelgangers, they're doing that whole. Um, Country village. Yeah. <laughs> but in the hands of Douglas Canfield, it is the sharpest thriller you are ever going to watch. <laughs> I can't disagree. Yeah. I, I really wish they had actually, you know, I think you're right. I wish they had capped off this season with Terror of the Zygons. You could have easily have started mm. a season with Planet of Evil. I even then would have ended that season with Mask of Mandragora and then started the 
the season 14 with Hand of Fear, right out Sarah Jane. Mm. And it, it would have been really interesting. Yeah, right. I can see that working, definitely. Like, this has flown by. We are nearly at the end of the episode. This has literally yeah, flown by. Crazy, isn't it? And really, what's this episode been? A lot of people talking in rooms. That's oh, what. Standing in corridors, talking urgently one another. Absolutely. And every so often, you might get a cutaway to you know the darkened room where the um, uh, you know the um, pupae of the the women sort of growing there. But um, that's probably what makes it work actually, because we we don't see the full horror of it yet, just yet. And then when we do. Well, what's nice is that, like, so, so this is one of those cliffhangers as well. There isn't like a moment of false jeopardy, and I hate those cliffhangers because you know the mm. regulars aren't going to die. This is a cliffhanger that that tips the story in a new direction, like narratively speaking. <laughs> so this is where we realise he is being physically transformed. So then, episode mm. three then takes that that idea to an extreme like we see various stages of him transforming in episode three and then episode so the end of episode three is where the Wirren emerges and then episode four is like your standard doctor who defeat the monsters yeah yeah but it is it is so jarringly different from what's just come like robot and the Pertwee era I can only imagine, and, and I'm pleased, I'm really pleased that instead of like rejecting it, the audience grabbed hold of it. Mm. Uh, if you're lucky, bastard. Um, but, okay, so I know we're not doing it today, but why don't you tell us where we're heading next time I see you? Right. Okay. Well, um, I suppose keeping with the theme of signposts and, and different directions being taken at different points in Doctor Who's history, uh, we will have to skip over uh, the rest of Tom Baker, and we could probably do at least two different episodes as we go through the Williams and then the first uh, J&T uh, season. We'll go to Catherine episode one, and the beginning of the new Doctor, um, and also the beginning of a very, very different take on what the show <laughs> for sure um not maybe was but could have been as well oh i see what you mean yeah with chris bidmead well you get a taster of that in front mm. of us you get a little taster of that I as do. to what it could have been like yeah and appallingly Absolutely. may i say appallingly we are going to jettison sarah and harry and invite in <laughs> adric tegan and nissa <laughs> Oh, yeah, what were they thinking? I'm pleased we're having a, a, a break between these because I'm not sure if it's, uh, I could do this one after another. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much of a jump, isn't it? <gasps> oh, it's not in the right direction, or that. <laughs> <laughs> 